Welcome to Deep Look, Ultra World's weekly radio show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and the editor, Charlie Eisenhood. Join me, Ultra World senior editor, Keith Rayner. It is Wednesday, March 22nd. We're getting down to the end of the college regular season. Just two weekends of games left. The bid watch hangs in the balance. And uh, we've got the Northwest Challenge coming up this weekend. A particularly important tournament in the women's division. Basically the last big D1 women's tournament of the year. So we'll discuss that later. Make our picks. Uh, Keith, how are things? Better than they were last week. Uh, the Charlie knows this, but the listeners don't. But uh, my household had a had about a COVID come through, so that was uh, that was fun. There are five of us here, uh, including uh, folks who are at risk. So it was a, it was a good time. Everybody just batting down the hatches. We pretty much just hold up. Uh, but everybody's on the on the on the right side of things now. Everybody's back at work slash school. So uh, much much brighter days at this point, and. It's starting to warm up, though. We're gonna we're actually getting some nice weather. You can go outside and stuff. So yeah, that's true. Uh, all in all, good good reasons to be optimistic. Yeah, I feel like the COVID's been going around a little bit again. It's just uh, anecdotally, but uh, glad I'm glad everyone's okay, Keith. Me too. It's not the most not the most fun experience, but it it also like with uh with the way it goes now, I, I feel like. It, the the entire experience feels a little bit like just getting sick now instead of feeling like it's this, you know, earth shattering, life altering right. deal, right. Uh, which is which is nice to be at that point. And That's maybe what goal. we're just dealing with in the future. Right. That's the end goal. Um, all right. So today we're going to do a little mailbag. It's been a while since we've done one and uh, we're, you know, coming towards the end of the regular season here. So that'd be a this good time our to first mailbag of 2023. That is possible. So it might be. Uh, we got a lot of different uh, concepts here. And so, Keith, I'll let you go first. Uh, this was your idea, so you can make the first selection. All right. Uh, first, first one. How about uh, how about just a little bid, a little bid predicting here? OK, uh, okay. I know this has been something Jen has been watching. Jen has, Jen has kept a, a clear eye on the Southwest and between the Southwest D1 men's and women's divisions. Are you over or under five and a half bids for the division? They currently have six, three in in both uh, men's and women's combined. Uh, but some teams right around the line. UC San Diego, literally the last team in, according to FrisbeeRankings.com right now, uh, of the strength bids in the women's division. Uh, and UCLA, also near the bubble in the men's division. What do you think? Are Southwest going to get six or more, or are we looking at an under? Oh man, UCLA, they're in kind of a precarious spot because they're playing Westerns this weekend and the field is fairly weak. It's them and and Santa Cruz and then a lot of teams that are not at that level. Now, you know, in theory, this is the kind of the right spot to be in if you're UCLA because you go out there, you take care of business against lower ranked teams. Algorithm tends to like that. My concern is that they have a slip-up game. Um, how many games have they played? They've already played 23 games. Mm-hmm. And they're about 60, almost 70 points clear of the last bid spot. I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to be okay. So then it really comes down to the women's division. Is UCSD going to hang on to their spot or not? I'm just looking at like, who's going to take the spot away from them? 
And I'm not sure that I see that team. Um, I, you know what? I'm going to say over, Keith. I think they're going to keep the the three and three. The the UC San Diego women the the women's division is is where I'm I'm not sure. Uh, they I'm pretty sure they're done for the year, but they are connected to some teams that'll be at Northwest Challenge. And interestingly, they're connected to both Carlton and Colorado in games that they lost by gigantic margins. So if if those teams gain rankings points, we might get to blow out eligible territory. They're like really close on that front. So, uh, you know, that could change some of the math here. The, the thing is, those games are are hardly impacting their ranking right now. Right. But when you're right near the border, it's it's doesn't take much, you know, to, to get you in a more. If they go to position. blow out eligible, it's actually beneficial for UCLA. Right. It's not exactly. for UCSD. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that, that I think that's a definite possibility. SUNY Binghamton's playing this weekend. They're they're just two spots out. Um, so they have a chance, but it could be dicey for them if they're not blowing they're not playing any high ranked teams. So they pretty much need to win handily all their games this weekend. Um so that's I always think that's actually a little bit tougher challenge than it that looks like. They do have Wellesley who's who's twenty four at the tournament, but um Western Washington, you know, they're gonna be at Northwest Challenge, they're at twenty seven. They have a shot, but you're right that it's kind of hard to find a team that you feel like, all right, this team is is a really dangerous team to take it away from UC San Diego. So I think I would I would bet with you and and say that they're going to get the six. Uh, it's a little strange to see a team in such a precarious position and be confident, but just not clear who's going to take that bid from from UC San Diego. I mean, like Binghamton, they got a tournament coming up, right? I mean, they're only at eight games. Yeah, Bingham, Binghamton. Binghamton has a tournament this weekend. They're I'm I'm going to be at that tournament. Uh, they're in my pool, in fact. Uh, but they, uh, Keith, your team could decide the fate <laughs> of UCSD in the Southwest. Yeah, you, I've, I've you, always wanted to have the power to take a bit insanely aggressively. Only your seven best players the whole game. No, what? No, I should do the opposite. In theory, if if I'm if my goal is to have the Metro East get an extra bid, take one from the Southwest. Oh yeah. You want to tank. I, yeah. I want to tank. I didn't even I think want, about that. I was just thinking I want about to lose by just <laughs> enough to not get blown out. Right. That would be the optimal outcome rankings wise. I think that's, that's right. <laughs> I don't plan on, on gaming the system in that way. I, I want the, the reps that gets a good team more than anything else, but uh, it's, it's, it is, it is a weird situation to be in. But I, I think that I think that it can be hard to go to these tur- these like mid level tournaments and not have that one game where you play close, especially if there's any right. like weather abnormalities that like tend to right. tighten up games like wind or rain. Uh, so I, I'm I would not bet necessarily that Binghamton's going to gain a lot of rankings points going to a, t- a tournament without very many other high ranked teams. All right, let's move on here. Um, let's see. We'll stay with college for now. Um, this one comes from Ryan. Don't know if it's been asked before, but which has been, which of these teams has been more dominant and why Oregon fugue of the early 2010s or UNC Pleiades of the early 2020s. Interesting. These are kind of two different types of dominance. North Carolina has like a high concentration back-to-back titles, three straight years in semifinals, but not a ton of longevity. I mean, especially when you account for the fact that two of those titles came six months apart rather than a traditional year apart and with extended eligibility, but they've been so good 
during the course of that run. I mean, they haven't lost a sanctioned game in years. Even the best Oregon teams had the one slip up. You know, in 2010, they like they lost to Wisconsin, I think, at Centex, maybe. And then 2013, another title year for Oregon. They lost one game to UBC at regionals. Now they blasted UBC 15-4 at nationals. So I think that you could kind of wipe that from the slate. But, you know, there's a big difference between being undefeated and having one loss. Uh, Now, Oregon had a run with three titles from 2010 to 2015. Uh, They were in the finals for two of the non-title years and in the semifinals for the other year. So I think on balance, I'd have to give it to Oregon for the sustained success. You know, being a title contending team for six straight seasons, five of which you reached the finals and three of which you won a title and many of them in which you dominated the field. I mean, one of those years, they didn't give up double digits in nationals. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is remarkable stuff. So I think I would side with Fugue, but North Carolina is on the trend, right? If, if they, if they were to perform at the level that they're performing now for another season or two, then you start to think about Pleiades as having the having the better run, even if it's not quite as long. If they don't get to six seasons, you know, if they add another, if they had a title this year, and now you're talking about three titles in four years and a semifinal appearance, they were in quarters in 2018. Asterisk. Oh, asterisk. you're gonna throw the asterisk on it. Okay. Too many, too much eligibility. There's a lot of eligibility. Team. You look at the players on this team. You're like, these players have been in college for like 20 years. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 mostly kidding here, but only kind of. I mean, it does I, feel I do like think, we've been watching Alex Barnett be this yeah. good for a long time at Ellie Youngst. Yeah, but I mean, on the other hand, on the other hand, they those same players would have had opportunities to win a title in 2020. Fair. And they did they did have a they season were the away. favorite in 2020. And then they didn't get the chance, right? That was that was the big UNC Carlton, you know, showdown year. And we didn't really end up getting it until we sort of got it in the semifinals of 2021 Winter Nationals. So I guess the thing is, yes, they could three-peat. And it wouldn't really be that shocking. And I guess the question is, at that point, they have the same number of titles as the Oregon team from the 2010s. And I would say that they they have been more dominant in this stretch than the Oregon Fugue teams were. Now, I always I just love the style of those teams, like the super aggressive, but they never they never won back to back. No. They won in 10, 13, and 15. You know, them when they lost to Ohio State in 2014, I think that was their chance to really cement a legacy. And they, you know, Cassie Swafford and Paige Soper said, nah, we're taking that one. Um, it's it's close. I I agree with you. At the moment, you still have to say that it's Oregon because of there's more titles, more time. But I think if UNC wins in in May, that they're going to have a really good case. I I guess I also shouldn't exclude 2009 when Oregon also made semifinals. So you get an extra extra year of longevity. So yeah, right now Oregon, but North Carolina is on pace to have the better run. If they can keep it going like this. Now, question. We've now had two back-to-back years of the same four teams in college winning the title. UNC in the men's and women's D1 divisions, Oklahoma Christian D1, D3 men's, and then Middlebury D3 women's. Here's my mailbag question to you. What are the odds that we get that exact same four teams 
winning for the third year in a row in May. They are basic. I would say they are all the favorites to win the title right now. Maybe you say UMass in the men's division is the favorite ahead of UNC, but I don't. I don't. I don't think that Vegas would would post it that way, despite the loss. I. I. What are so you're asking? What the odds are? Yeah. Like. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> I think I would still need. I think I would still need like. Plus, plus four hundred or something. But think uh, about how low that is for a four-team championship. Parlay. I know, I know, it's it's low. Let me let me. I'm but like, so right now, Oklahoma Christian is number two in the D three rankings behind fraudulent Connecticut College. <laughs> the, the Metro East is in some weird bubble right now in D three men's, and I don't even really understand how that's happening. But um, currently, the Metro East has four bids. Um. But Oklahoma Christian, I think, is clearly the best team right now in D3 men's. Middlebury comes in undefeated 7-0 and to start their year, and they are like 230 points clear of Wellesley in the D3 women's rankings. I mean, Middlebury really was impressive. I mean, they they beat who their their best win, I guess, is I mean, arguably it's UT Dallas. I don't really know how UT Dallas is quite so high, though, so I'm, I'm not sure I buy that. Like Wash U, Florida, um, USC, like, and mostly by like pretty pretty big margins. Um, they're good. They're really good. Like, it would be very surprising if they don't win the D three title this year. Yeah, they they might be the biggest favorite still to me. I agree. Uh, uh, probably them, then Pleiades, then Dark Side, then OC. Maybe I think OC ahead of Dark maybe OC side at this ahead point. of Dark Side. But yeah, it's interesting. It's plus plus four hundred is equates to like twenty percent, right? You have like a twenty percent odds, so that's still quite high. You know, maybe I don't I don't know if you need maybe plus four fifty feels better to me, but it, it's it's tough. There we've seen enough good teams in at least probably every division. I mean, I I guess you could put Wellesley and given what Carlton Eclipse is doing in the women's division. I still would favor Middlebury if I had to in those situations, but given that there are worthy contenders in seemingly every division, I would. That's what I. I, I it's lowering the odds for me. But we we we've been talking about this in the preseason that this this could happen, and and in fact, it was one of my bold predictions that we would get uh, chalky finals. Not exactly this repeat finals, but that the favorites would basically be in all the finals. Uh, we wouldn't get any surprises, and that seems maybe a little less likely than it did then. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Carlton Eclipse, good team, but I think their like total dominance this weekend, where they gave up like a total of two points, I think, <laughs> um, at College Southerns. I mean, they're playing like B teams and stuff. I, I'm not exactly uh, blown away. I think the top ranked team in the USAU rankings they played was Charleston, 121st in the rankings. Um, so you know, this is just like totally, they were just like by far the best team there. So anyway, let's let's stay on Pleiades, Keith. Here's a question from Rob. If Pleiades wins a championship this spring, then Alex Hecht will complete the set for the Hecht siblings. I know there have been other winning families, but I'm curious if any have accomplished um, winning with three different schools in three different divisions. Because Zoe won with Oberlin. Oberlin. That's right. 
I couldn't remember the school. And of course, Mac won with Brown. Hmm. Well, I mean, it, it can be hard to have three, just three siblings who play on championship contending teams. Uh, although, you know, at least the the former, the older siblings obviously were big reasons why their teams were were championship contenders. I mean, you could you could argue that Mac basically like took Brown from being a like you know, a regionals team to being a national champion team. I mean, he, yeah. he was the guy that like transformed that program. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I can, if, if there's anybody who like springs to mind for me, I know somebody highlighted the lorries for their U 24 wins in our discord. Uh, but just getting, just getting to three kids is already like a little bit difficult. Like I can, you can think of pairs of siblings who have been good and you probably get some where, yeah, the they stubs. were in the same school. Uh, so that like that, that having to do it at different schools also adds another wrinkle because I think you're more likely to get, you know, siblings play on the same team or go to the same school. Right. And then have success at that university together at the school. Uh, yeah. Either together or, or uh, one after the other. Sure. Uh, you know, or maybe they're in, in two different divisions. You know, maybe they're in, in men's and women's or whatnot. Uh, so, like, you know, obviously the young siblings right now are are have 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 enough rings between the two of them, right? Like, uh, but there's not three of them, and they're at the same school. So, I, I think you'll probably have a tough time finding somebody who fits this exact criteria. But I don't yeah, think there's I, any shortage of like successful ultimate families. In fact, I think it seems to be a pretty common common trend that we see uh, we see siblings. Now we're starting to get into parents and kids, you know. Trying to get title winners in uh, across generations. That's that's what we need to be talking about soon. Is is uh, parent and kid combos? Uh, it's it's, it's going to continue to become more common. Oh yeah, we're I mean we're we're at that generation, you know, where you're starting to just see more and more players, kids uh, uh, who are playing, like players who played in a competitive setting where you know it wasn't just like oh my my dad played ultimate or my mom played ultimate at, at a little bit in in school, and now it's like this player is a known player who competed in uh, UPA ultimate. Let's, let's stick in college and, and we stay on the history note a little bit, like uh, like looking forward and, and looking backward simultaneously. Uh, this question comes from T gills on Twitter. How far back do you have to go before the 2023 college champs? And maybe it'll be easier for us to do the 2022 college champs uh, in both, in both uh, divisions, the men's and women's could beat the club champion. So, you know, is if you get the 2023 college champ against the 2001 club champion, like who are you, who are you taking? How far back do you have to go? To <laughs> well, get and there? we're talking about the team in its era, right? We're not talking about we, a bunch were, of we were asking about both, but I don't think you would have to get very far. No, that's for not them very to beat the 40s and the 50s. Yeah, no, that's that's not players. Very interesting. Sorry, Masters. I think um, this is supposed to be a pro Masters podcast now, but <laughs> I, I can't go there. <laughs> um, wow. Well, let me look at the list of club champions. I was just looking at the list of college champions, so now I can look at club and think about <laughs> it a little bit. Um, I have a hard time imagining. So let's let's take last year, UNC Darkside. I have a hard time imagining that team beating any of the teams of the last 20 years. Uh, like, there's just no way that that team beats, like, the physical furious George teams of the 20 of the 2000s. I'm sorry. It's it, it just the level of like 
physicality and then just general athleticism, I think was hot, like higher. The athleticism factor was higher, like bigger players. Um, and I think by far the UNC team would have like better throwing depth. But yeah. I just don't think that would be enough to overcome, um, you know, just the physical differences between the players. Um, if you go back, like, I don't know, I guess probably to the 90s, like maybe some of those early dog teams. It, it's just a big difference when you're talking about having like, you know, four or five elite club level players on your college roster versus having 25 of those players. Um, and I know that in general, you know, as you go back in time, the, the the bench depth really drops off, but the top end talent would would be superior to UNC's going way deep, like back into the early 90s or maybe into the 80s. I think it's less clear cut for me in the women's division where, you know, in particular, UNC Pleiades has like what seven like elite club players <laughs> including yeah. some that are like up, up near the top of elite club um you're still not going to beat any of the teams from the 2010s i don't think you're probably going to beat any of the fury teams in their crazy run uh you probably for me got to go back to like early 2000s probably like lady godiva times um but it could be even earlier than that I, I think you're underselling the development of, of athleticism. Uh, <coughs> I, I, I get the, I get the argument particularly against the physicality of, you know, men's ultimate from 15 years ago. But if you, if you assume we're playing by this, this time's rules, you know, if rule enforcement looks like it does now, <laughs> That's <a> fair question. <laughs> I think, I think those teams are going to get in a lot of trouble. There's going to be a lot of cards thrown around. People, people might not make it through games, you know, uh, there, there are some guys on Furious and Sakai who might not make it through a whole game at that at that rate. Uh, I also think that you're going to see these college teams hold at incredibly high rates. I think that that's o- true. The O line maybe is just going to get the job done, right? Yeah, the system level execution is just going to be deadly. I think. I think the the type of red zone offenses we're seeing teams operate with now is is would would carve up a lot of top level club teams from 20 years ago. But I do think that the line is probably somewhere around where you're talking about. Uh, now, I do also think we're probably biased by the fact that like we start to get to the point where we didn't watch those teams, you know, sure. like where we didn't see Godiva or Death or Glory's big runs. But we we you know we saw Sockeye and Revolver and Fury and Scandal. Uh, I'd sign me up to watch Don Colton go up against uh, Prime Sandy Jorgensen though. That would be a good time. Uh, yeah, but that's that's probably where I'd start to think about it too. I, I I'm not sure that I I. I think I think they, they could win in those early 2000s games, but I wouldn't favor them if that, right. if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think the, the, the argument in favor of the college teams is that we saw Lotus, which was basically Colorado Mama Bird, uh, have a lot of success at club nationals. Now, they didn't win, but they were like a very clearly like quarterfinals level team as essentially a college roster in the current times. So if you take that team back 10 years, where do they stand? I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's really hard, but the top team, the, right, the winning team at club nationals is usually extremely good. 
But I think that I think that when you're talking about the skill level at the top of the rosters being being somewhat you know matched up, but then the bench depth, I think that goes for the athleticism too. I think you're going to see teams a little more uh, like training is a little higher level right now. Oh, training is vastly uh, higher level now. I think athleticism is probably going to be a little bit higher once you start getting into the bench. Uh, so uh, I do think that you know the stars of the stars of yesteryear are still going to be able to go up against the best players now, but. I think in general, the athleticism is probably still probably favors the the newer players. So I mean, I I still think that some of the you know the, the best throwers from like 15, 20 years ago are better than the best throwers we have in today's game. <laughs> like is like that they a hot had take? to do more. <laughs> is that a hot take? I mean, I I really don't. I think if you go back and you watch the tape and you watch some of the throws that were getting made, like they those players are absolutely at the level of today's top throwers. The game has changed a lot, of course. You're not seeing flat-footed, eighty-yard hucks all that much. There's a few players do that, but it's pretty rare. I mean, we're seeing a lot more small ball, seeing a lot more grindy offense, um, and so you're not necessarily seeing that put on display. I'm sure break throwing is vastly better now than it was ten years ago, even. Uh, but you know, just from like raw like ability to throw people open and hit crazy hucks and stuff, that skill is probably better 10, 15 years ago than it is now. I think in, in part because of the incentive structure of, of you know, becoming a better player, you don't need to be able to do that stuff that much these days. So anyway, interesting question. I'm, I'm sure we'll get some, uh, some thoughts on that. Hit us up, deeplook at ultiworld.com, at deeplookpod on Twitter. Let's see. I'm looking forward to the standard. There's like a crew of, uh, of old heads in the Discord. I'm, I'm looking forward to their... To their uh, vociferous disagreement with this yeah uh they know which, who they are. <laughs> well and there may be there may be some there may be some older players who are like yeah no we couldn't even hang with, with these. <laughs> that's fair we'll see um which college division is the worst this year south least metro least or terrible lakes terrible lakes i mean there's got to be a better hater name for the for the great lakes i don't know what it is um i think the great fakes the- <laughs> I think the auto bid is outside the strength range for all four divisions for all three regions, except for men's D3 Metro East, which quite frankly looks really good. They currently have four bids. Um, what do you say, Keith? Uh, it's clearly not Metro East this year. Yeah, right. Uh, Metro, uh, Metro, Metro East, East women's carrying. Up. Metro East D1 women's is carrying right now. Come on. <laughs> and, and it sounds like D3 men's looks good. It's, so it can't be. It can't be Metro East. If you're, you got to give them their year. If we're, if, if we're going to have a year, give, give it to us. South East is, is South Central. Is that what that is? Oh, no. Southeast. Oh, Southeast. Southeast. Keith. Southeast. Keith. Keith's just trying to deny that the Southeast <laughs> could be bad. Somewhere somewhere in my heart still. Is I think it's probably the Southeast. Uh, you know, at least like I think, you know, in the Great Lakes, you got you got Michigan, right? In both divisions. Uh, and we've seen moments from some of the other teams at, in D1 women's uh, Notre Dame, Chicago. Yeah, the Southeast is is like, what else are we excited about in the Southeast besides Georgia I mean, men's? It, like even yeah, Barry Georgia men's, men's is having a tough year. Uh, Georgia men's had a terrible Smoky Mountain invite. Um, but, now, you know, that's another year in which they've had a terrible tournament. But they also looked really good at... Um, at Florida warmup where they, you know, they beat Pittsburgh, they beat Carl, like they're a legitimate, like nationals team. Um, okay. I, I just want to note though, that 
if uh, looking at the probabilistic bid allocations where it like looks at the depth of the region yeah. a little bit more, the Metro East has uh, 1.32 bids in probabilistic uh, women's. Okay. The Great Lakes has 0.42. <laughs> and the Metro East is 0.06. Oh, you mean the Southeast, right? Not even a t- Southeast. Sorry. Yes. That's 0.06. Not even a tenth of a bid, <laughs> uh, which is tough. Now, the Metro East men's has 0.01. Oh, my God. <laughs> so one, one hundred literally <laughs> like this is fuel to the people who say take away the Metro East bid. Uh, while the the men southeast has point five seven and the men's Great Lakes has point five one. Uh, mostly, I think mostly because Georgia Tech is a much better second team than Indiana uh, has been in the Great Lakes. Um, yeah, it's tough, but I think if you look, especially yeah, if Metro you include, East men's really dragging it down and uh, brutal, brutal, brutal. If you if you include D three and you really look holistically, I think to me it's fairly clear that Southeast is the worst division this year, which is probably pretty pretty surprising, pretty surprising. Yeah, like I'll, in, I'll, in the Metro East, you have legitimate like Yale and Binghamton in the women's division are you know I don't, they're not going to win a title, but they're 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 good teams. And look and look, a Metro East men's team is the highest ranked team in in D three right now. That's true. Connecticut College, so and they have a, they have the number four team too at Rochester, so it's not it's not them. Where's it? Where like where even is the Southeast in this list? It's to, it's, I don't know what happened, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's the Southeast right now. Yeah, uh, but it's close. It's it's close. What's next, Keith? All right, how about how about a, a straightforward one from uh, from Alex? Can any team other than DC or New York win the AUDL this season? And what odds would you give the field? Is the field a dog? Oh, man. I think the field's a dog. To New York DC combo? Yeah. Well, it's worth noting that only one of them can make the final four. Fair. Um, which I would I think we're at the point in the AUDL where I'd like to see some like they need to make conferences and they need to have the opportunity for like, for instance, a DC and a New York to make championship weekend. So I think what you do is you would make conferences out of the what do they call them? The the east and the and the south. And then you do the central and the west. Couldn't couldn't you do wild cards instead? You could do wild cards. But the thing is you still have to have some way for the teams to filter into the final four. So how do you where do you put the wild cards? Do you like randomly mm-hmm. allocate them? I think by doing conferences it's like a little bit more clear that you're going to get representation from you know sort of both the middle the the west slash middle and then the east but you know i just feel like it's 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 a real bummer that your two best teams are in the same division and that you're guaranteed to not have one of them in your your biggest playoff weekend i don't think that makes sense yeah, you also could obviously reseed would be another strategy, but I, I, I hear what you're saying, and uh, I don't know that it's been a consistent issue, so it's not something that looks like, you know, you, you look at a one to two year sample size, and you know, I don't think you need to like panic about it, but uh, I get it. It, it. it will be frustrating to be a DC fan and have your team be good, maybe the second best team in the league, and have to sit on the sidelines, 
uh, over and over again. I, to answer the actual question, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I don't. I think this is a bit of a ratio of of Raleigh, Colorado. <laughs> uh, another team could win. Yes, I do think New York and DC are the favorites. I do think the field having the having its only one can get there is is uh is tough. But DC's new roster looks very very good. But uh, maybe maybe they're not a dog. I don't know. Uh, yeah, the, they might be a dog still. The field. Yeah, I, it's just hard for me to see who else could get to win. Like you, you know, who's the best team in the Central this year? I don't think any of those teams have a chance. No, I I, I mean right now it's I think you got to look at Raleigh. Colorado, Salt Lake, and I don't know if you, if you want to get hyped Salt about Lake? LA's come new additions. On. Come on, don't put Salt Lake in this camp. Come on, no way. I, I, I Colorado, sure, I guess, but I mean they got their doors blown off last year. It was their first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic, classic <laughs> West team. Oh, West team, so much scoring, so much offense. Gets a championship weekend, and get pasted. Um, I don't know. Yes, they have a chance. They have a chance. They have they have good players. They have a chance. Uh, Raleigh, you got to say they have a chance. They've done it before, but you know they're starting to lose some of their guys. You know they're losing some of their key defender pieces to retirement. You know no Saul's gone. Like you know those, those have been pretty important. David Richardson have been important players for them. Uh, I'm not saying that they're you know incapable of winning. I just think it's it's going to be a real long shot over. Uh, Whichever team emerges from the East. If, but if again, only just, there was if only there was any pipeline of talent for, uh, for <laughs> that team to recruit from, you know, consider uh, the concept, Keith, you <laughs> win your division, you get a buy same as now. And mm-hmm. then instead of the two, three game being, you know, within the division, you do the two seed from the East versus the three seed from the South. Mm-hmm. So that would be, let's say, um, let's say D.C., versus Austin. And then you'd have um I don't know, Atlanta versus who's going to be the third best team? Uh Philly? Maybe. Sure. I mean, we're just hypothetically. Yeah. And then and then they play in um and you you reseed or something so that the the top team from the regular season gets the the weaker opponent in the in the next round. And then so like all of the teams yeah, and then I guess then the winners of each of those games would go through to uh, championship weekend. I mean, maybe maybe it's just the marketing here, but I think the ADL likes the rivalry building of you got to go through the team in your in your area. Imagine if the rivalry game happens at championship weekend instead. I don't I I don't know if it well you, you like it when it happens at one of the team's home fields. <laughs> that helps. <Right. laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, you're still going to get that game probably. You know, you, but you, you don't would, know. You don't know. It's 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 an interesting thing to think about. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, it's time we're gonna we're gonna take some more mailbag questions in our uh, subscriber bonus segment out the back. So please join us there, and we will uh, keep it rolling. We got some we got some good ones for the subscribers. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, time to talk college ultimate. We got some Northwest Challenge picks to make, and we got some Centex to talk about. And uh, and in the regular season's almost here. We'll be right back. Spring college season is here and the warm weather is on its way. That means it's reversible season. Breakmark is giving away free reversibles for teams that order a bundle. 
With prices starting at just $75, it's the best way to have your team looking game ready this spring. And reorders get a 20% discount. Get started today at breakmark.com. Welcome back to Deep Look. Centex was the main event last weekend. Two separate tournaments for the men's and the women's divisions. Men's at Round Rock, women's on the UT campus. And your winners in the women's division, Northeastern, continuing their undefeated run through the 2023 season. And in the men's division, Colorado takes on Texas in the final 14-13 universe point win for Colorado. As uh, we get a little look ahead preview of the South Central Regional Final, uh, which should be a lot of fun. So, uh, Keith, pretty interesting results, particularly at men's Centex. Uh, thoughts on uh, what we saw this weekend? Well, we, we saw BYU's undefeated season uh, come to an end as they, uh, they took a loss to Texas. And I think that that matters not. Not so much in, in what tells us about BYU. I'm sure they're disappointed. They they almost completed their run. Uh, although, uh, yeah, they almost completed their run. They're not going to any more tournaments. Uh, so I'm sure they're disappointed by that. But I, I also think it shows Texas bona fides. I mean, if, if the final didn't enough, uh, I think that Texas is is pretty close to where Colorado's at, and in that right on the right on the edge of that that contender sphere right now. Uh, that, and that, that to me, is some of the most interesting information coming out of this tournament is that we, Texas, who were so used to like being this kind of inconsistent team, they were able to deliver in back-to-back weekends. They go out, they win six games and lose only to Colorado by one. They had some close results. They barely beat that BYU team, but obviously that's a good result. They barely beat Tufts as well, but they beat Carlton handily, which is a, a nice win for them. So Texas right now looking very for real. And even though they weren't the winner of the tournament, I do feel like that was the most important piece of information I gleaned from from these Centex results. Yeah, I mean, I I I was when I saw the BYU schedule, I thought to myself, this is probably the hardest like set of back to back to back games with very little break that they've had all season. They got Carlton, Wisconsin, and Texas all in a row, and. You know, they win the first two games fairly comfortably, 13-10 in both. Um, and then they just lose to a Texas team that is as athletic as they are. I mean, I, I think that's a big thing. Is it like Texas is the sort of the size and athleticism to match up with BYU better than a lot of other teams? Um, you know, it still ends up being a very nice weekend for BYU. They're still one of the best teams in the country. But it is hard to just go back to back to back. You know, Texas is playing its first game. They're fresh. And BYU at that point is going to be a little tired playing, you know, having already played 90 straight minutes of ultimate against good opponents. So um, I, I'm not surprised that that was the game that they lost, like from a structural perspective. Um, you know, overall, I thought this tournament went over pretty smoothly, despite all the complaining about the weird format. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think largely it went according to expectations. I mean, how about Texas A&M making a nice little run to uh, quarterfinals to get the win uh, over Northwestern and Florida? That was kind of cool to see. Um, Carlton whoops Wisconsin. And this gets me to big question. Like, is this Wisconsin team's national streak going to go to die here, Keith? They have the longest active national streak in the country. 
every year against the odds, they <sighs> beat one of Carlton or Minnesota at regionals. But this feels like the weakest iteration of this Wisconsin team that we've seen in quite some time. It was 15-9 to Carlton. They've just not been in the same ballpark. Are, are they going to keep it going? I mean, like you said, we've said all this before, have we not? We have. <laughs> uh, really, it's like we're it's like we're in a, one of those remakes, you know, one of those horror movie remakes. It's going, <laughs> you know, like, wow, this feels like beat for beat the same story. Carlton, Carlton really looks like they're clear head above Wisconsin and Minnesota. I mean, they they might be better than both of these teams. And then you get to regionals. It's a uh, gross North Central weather, and the Hodags are smiling, and everybody else is is. Uh, glum as uh, as they as they do what they need to do. I it's so hard though because it it you you can't really see it outside of we know it's happened before. You're still not even always sure why it happens, so it's hard to call for it again. When right now it looks like Minnesota and Carlton are the better teams, just that's the way it's played out this season. I, I do think that Wisconsin's shown that they have the talent and that they are a Nationals quality team, but. That's going to be little solace if they're not a Nationals attending team. Yeah, uh, Carlton's susceptible because they rely a lot on a couple of players. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, I think I'm going to pick against Wisconsin to keep the streak alive when the time comes. Um, anyhow, Colorado gets um, maybe their best win of the season. Is it? Is that fair to say? Over Texas? Yeah. I I think that would uh would qualify. I mean I, yeah. Right now Texas is clearly the best team they've beaten. I mean I right Pittsburgh's Pitt, Pittsburgh's Pitt down, Browns down. One. So yeah, I think that's the their best win. I mean right now the what Carl, Carlton Pitt who they've beaten are their next best wins. So yeah, clearly Texas the only top ten team they've beaten. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting this Mama Bird team. So much hype coming into the season and. You know, if they'd gone undefeated at Centex, I would have felt a little better. But they lose to BYU. I mean, they they've lost the they've lost close in pretty much all of their big games this year, and that's a concern if you're thinking about this team as a national championship contender. I mean, I just don't think they've showed that. I mean, I think a 14-13 Texas uh, win over Texas is good, but it's not it's not earth shattering. Are they? Are they? Like. Given those results, it's kind of hard to really outside of like going back to your priors. It's it's a little hard just it just on resume to mark them as a contender right now. I, I completely agree. But I mean, I think that the thing is, it's like they lose by two to UNC. They lose by one to Vermont. You know, they've been close in these games. It, you know, a two goal loss to UNC. Like. Now, to be fair, that same UNC team then went on to lose to UMass. So it's not, you know, they, they haven't even played UMass. I don't know. I, I agree. I, I don't think we've seen it. It's going to be real hard to pick them. I mean, I was the, 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 the game that they played against Texas. They looked like the stronger team until the end. I mean, they were up, what, 12, 12, nine. Uh, and a lot of what felt like it was keeping Texas in the game were just kind of like Colorado mistakes, you know, short fields that they were giving up. And then all of a sudden, Texas starts getting blocks and turns things around a little bit and tightens the game up. Uh, I think they also were playing without uh, Chambers at that point as well. 
So, yeah, th- I'm a little worried about Colorado's head game more than like the like where their where their mental game is at more than I I think their on field game. I mean, they definitely have the 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 talent on the roster to compete. There's no question about that. And and the results show that. Yeah. Um, Danny Landisman, Calvin Stoughton. I mean, those two guys together could just win them a game against just about anybody. So oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the rematch of those two teams at uh, regionals. Um, over in the women's division, Northeastern cruising through to a win, uh, an undefeated win, and they defeat Colorado State in the final 15-7. I mean, did this team even play a single competitive game the whole weekend? They played. They, they beat did. Colorado State thirteen eleven. Yeah, in pool so play. That was, that was the only than, only close one. Yep. Um, and uh, Virginia goes undefeated in pool play, but loses to Colorado State in the semifinals. Uh, which I gotta say is a little surprising to me. Yeah, especially because they were dominating their way to that point. I feel like maybe a little bit of a look ahead to the to the final like thinking about the northeastern game before it had already started um i, I don't know i, I don't want to take away from colorado state they also had a good weekend their only losses came to northeastern um but it, I, I do think it's a little surprising it's definitely surprising uh colorado state was a team i was a bit hyped on in the preseason but they had been a little disappointing in their debut this year and this was a big step forward for them. So I, I don't think that they are like a a team to be overlooked or anything, but I would I would expect Virginia to be focused at that juncture and to be able to take care of business in that game. And you know, coming down coming down with a loss is a bad look for them. Uh obviously strong for for Colorado State and I'm sure Northeastern's actually I I would not be surprised if if Northeastern was a little disappointed. They probably wanted a rematch with Virginia after playing them at Commonwealth Cup and, and having, you know, it be clear that it wasn't a full strength Virginia team and Colorado State, they'd already played in the weekend. They'd already won that game, uh, but uh, they, they were probably a little bit disappointed to not get another shot at Virginia, but clearly happy to, to round out an undefeated regular season. And it wasn't like they were at just crappy tournaments, you know? Yeah, they, they didn't get out to any of the big elite, elite West Coast tournaments. I totally understand why that they weren't able to to make that happen, but they played pretty much the best teams that they could play on the East Coast without going to Queen City tune up. Uh, so here's yeah. here's my question, Keith. Where does this team fit into the power rankings for you? Coming into the weekend, they were at 11. Uh, they basically haven't played any of the teams in the top 10. Right. So you know, at 12 behind them was Virginia. So do you move them up past an Oregon, a BYU, a Stanford? How high do you put them up in the rankings? And like, do you think they can beat those teams or is that just, you know, you're giving them credit for going undefeated? I I would put them behind, right behind Stanford, probably. Uh, so you're right where like BYU probably is, um, which is, is roughly where th- not much, not much of a boost from where they're at. I do think you give a little bit of credit for going undefeated. It's just a hard thing to do game in and game out delivered a couple of clutch moments. Uh, you, you, you should be applauded for that, especially when they were you know facing other ranked teams. This was not a 
just beating up on regional team uh, performance for them. Sure. But yeah, they haven't played elite teams. They haven't played like the, the teams that are in championship contention. And I think that could be a real challenge for them because it's going to be such a different level of competition. And two of those teams are in their damn region. So I'm sure that they wish they had a chance to play against somebody like that before. You know, the, you don't want to have to go up against Vermont or Tufts in the game to go. And that's the first time you're seeing a team play at that. Oh, level. God, there's that's no a, way they're going to have a game to go against them, though. I mean, yeah, they're going to get three, three, four bids up there. Sure, but you never, you know, it might be, it might be, it might not be the last game to go, but it might be a game to qualify or whatever. You don't want to end up in that situation. Uh, and you also don't want to end up like, in theory, they're probably going to see one of those teams at another, at conferences. You know, they're in the same conferences as Tufts, or they'll see them in pools at regionals. So they'll have a chance to get in that, to get in that game. But all, all the credit for being undefeated, but I still would have them slotted in behind the elite teams that we've seen sure. go, go up against. Yeah, that I mean, caliber. Just for some reference, in the USAU rankings, they have wins over the 15, 17, 18, um, 30, and 29. So, you know, not that many top 25 level teams, but you got to give them credit. You know, they beat Virginia 13 6. Um, at one point, they saw Colorado State twice this weekend, the 18 right now in the rankings, beat them 13 11 and then 15 7. So, like, they have proven it against those teams. They are number 10 in the USAU algorithm right now. I, there's not, I'm, I'm like trying to find points of connectivity on their schedule and those top end teams. Uh, you know, they beat Cal 13, uh, eight Cal lost to Colorado by a similar score. 13, seven lost to Oregon, 14, five lost to Stanford, 10, five. Uh, so that's about, in the same range. Uh, I don't want to do Colorado state because they seem to be performing at a very different level from, from what they have. They're also uh, worth noting Northeastern also beat Cal 15, six eventually too. Uh, and then like Pitt, who's going to be at Northwest challenge. We'll get a chance to get a sense of them, but they got blown out by Vermont when they played them. Uh, Northeastern has actually gotten a chance to play Pitt, even though they've been at the same tournaments here. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking for points of connectivity to try and get a sense of where Northeastern, how they might stack up against those elite teams. And like Cal, I think, is really your only good point of comparison right now, although that could change in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, any other results from uh, the uh, women's Centex that stand out to you, Keith? Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we talked briefly about Colorado State, uh, but they'll they'll be an interesting team in the mix here. It's probably too little too late. Uh, although they right now are right now they are in bid contention. And so maybe they will just survive because there might not be a team to take it from them. Also helps that the next team out is also in the South Central, Texas, Dallas. Uh, so Kim, it's really going to behoove, you know, Binghamton, South Carolina, if they have another game, I, I, I don't think Davis probably has the mobility to get up there, but Western Washington is another team to look at Minnesota. If they have more games, cause they've only played six games. Those are probably the teams that could contend. And like, are those teams teams you're comfortable saying like they're going to take the bid from Colorado State? Don't know. Uh, and Colorado State, Texas has had some moments this year, but I think Colorado State clearly looks like they're the second team in the South Central. So if they hold the bid, they could be going back to nationals again. And I think that's a bit of a surprise for some people. Yeah, and, and they will have earned it. You know, to yeah. go out there and be Virginia, like that's what put them in the bid range, basically. And you know what? They, de they deserve a bid, I think, based on their resume right here. Pres day a little shaky, but 
nice results at Centex. They t- they lost head- heads up to Texas, but I mean it was like the last game of Press Day. I'm I'm not sure that I'm I'm buying that, but I wouldn't like be oh they're they're totally comfortable against yeah, Texas, even though Texas had a rough weekend here at Centex, which is not what you want to see from from the home team basically. Uh, from literally, I guess we're playing on their campus, uh, and they went one and six, uh, including getting blown out by that same Virginia team. So not good. Um, okay, so let's turn our attention now to the Northwest Challenge, and we got to start by talking about the format. Uh, the 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 women's division format came out yesterday. Uh, it was a round robin format with teams getting five games. Now, I shouldn't really say round robin. It's more like match play because you weren't going to play all the teams at the tournament. Uh, And some players, particularly from Vermont and Colorado, were vocally unhappy about the uh, way that this format laid out and made a big stink on social media. Initially, Washington basically said, thank you for the feedback. We'll look at, you know, what we want to do for next year but has subsequently completely changed the format and made it into a more standard uh, pool and bracket play uh, with a, you know, with a, with a typical tournament final. So Keith, is this legit? Like, do you like that? They changed their mind from going from a, you know, a a more sort of match play ish format to one with a standard bracket. Yes, I I do like that they changed this, and there was some discussion in our Discord about this. I mean, it was it was the topic of the day yesterday, uh, along with uh, uh, one one other topic. Uh, but it's it was it was something that people were talking about, and you know, I made the argument that we've seen in the past tournaments go completely away from deciding a winner with no bracket play. Uh, so not a round robin format where you play everybody, so you can't lean on that result. But you know, just teams playing five, six, seven games or whatever. And whoever has the best record, you like don't even you don't declare a winner. You just kind of say, okay, this team this team won or whatnot. Uh, and I think that that's unsatisfying for teams. And while games in bracket do not have any algorithmic value and like basically are totally arbitrarily more important, they still matter to players. Yes, like, I, I I my team is obviously not playing for a national title this year. But like my players want to win a tournament and they're in the semis or the final of a tournament. It matters to them. And so it is important, I think, for teams to get those reps to get the chance to get their players experience playing in a high pressure environment. Those are meaningful games. And so taking away those opportunities hurts. So I do think that making the change and being responsive to the teams is important, especially because it sounds like there was not communication that this was going to be the format prior to this. So you have teams that were traveling from great distances to play five games and not get them in the desirable way that they wanted to. We've the problem wasn't necessarily doing a match play format. It's that they didn't meet. If you're going to do the match play format, you have to do the other parts of it. So either you need to power match so that the teams at the top are getting the top level games that they're coming out to play, or you need to have some other sort of system in place to help make sure that teams are getting more games. You can't remove remove title contention, that value, the value of a, of having a bracket. Remove access of top teams to other top teams and shorten the number of games that they play. Like all three of those things just like no team is going to be excited about that. Uh so 
to be totally fair to tournament organizers, I have no idea what restrictions they're working under for schedule, for field availability, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, they have BYU at this tournament. Like, how does that impact what what their schedule is going to look like? Uh, are there other teams that have schedule restrictions? Does the host team have schedule restrictions? I don't know. Uh, all those kinds of things could be factors, but that's supposed to be stuff that's worked out with the teams ahead of time and not on Twitter uh, four days before the tournament. You know, look, I think that a match play format is fine. I think that you wait, the, but you have to have some kind of plan for how you're going to have some kind of meaningful game at the end of it all. My favorite tournament of the year is warm up, straight up match play, and then all of the teams are ranked by uh, their record and then via the algorithm to put them into a bracket and then they play games in the bracket. Now, of course, that's a three day tournament, kind of a different thing. For this, you'd probably want to do something where you just do straight algorithm rankings and then pair each of the teams together uh, for a final game. So you would have a final. The top two teams algorithmically after the, uh, you know, the five games of match play play a sixth game that is the tournament final. Would that have solved all of the complaints? Maybe not, but at least there's some way for you to have access to, you know, if you're Vermont, for instance, and you think you're going to be the best team there, you want a chance to play the second best team there, then you want something like that where you're going to get a chance to play those top teams. Otherwise, you know, they they got a UBC game in their original schedule. And then I think um, they had a couple other good games, Stanford and another team in the top 10. Uh, but then, you know, two games that they were going to just completely destroy their opponent. And, and only five games and like it's far. So I completely understand why they wouldn't want a bracket or, or a set a tournament set up like that, uh, because you want to have the chance to go and face UBC and Colorado and like get almost all of your games against those top level opponents. So I don't really see anything wrong with a match play style event, but I agree with you, Keith. It's gotta, you got to communicate about it ahead of time. Uh, people shouldn't feel like they're getting surprised by the by the format absolutely and i'm i'm surprised a little bit that they went so far into basically redoing the whole format rather than trying to add placement at the end whether whether that's by like shortening other rounds uh especially they had a little extra flexibility because they have some games taking place on friday uh with byu and not just byu they have western and victoria are playing each other even in the new schedule on friday uh, and so now they've kind of got this weird mess where like they have three team pools on Saturday. They also have some games on Friday that I don't think are affecting bracket status. And then they also have just like random extra Sunday games uh, or Saturday games. Excuse me. So like Uvic plays just three extra games on Saturday uh, and are not in the pools at all. So there, so I guess Uvic has no chance of making the bracket or something. Yeah, so there's still like some weird. Maybe, maybe they can't play on Sunday. It would be my guess. They must right. not be I, I, Yeah, I don't know what their travel situation is, but like, those are both restrictions. But also because you have you do have three days of fields, you have like some other possibilities. So they ended up on a weird format, uh, which I, I think is a little strange. When it might have been simpler to just try and add, you know, one final decisive game. Uh, brackets are also te- generally restricting on. Uh, field site availability because teams don't like to play buys and bra- don't like to have buys in their brackets. So like you have to schedule a lot of your game simultaneously when teams are a little more accepting of pools, pool play with buys uh, on you know Saturday or, or Friday or whatnot. So yeah, 
t- tough situation, but it's just unfortunate that it it got sprung on teams late. And then I also don't, I also don't think that I, I can't say whether or not players from Vermont or Colorado or coaches or whatever were emailing the tournament directors too. In addition to going on I'm Twitter, sure they but were. Sure I don't were. necessarily think going on Twitter and like trying to shame them into doing it is a is a great look either. It's not not a great way to build the relationships or anything, but. Yeah, all in all, a messy situation. I'm glad that we arrived at something that feels a little more satisfactory for teams. Uh, certainly a challenge for TDs and people who are planning on streaming the tournament. Some challenges too, but I, I think we're glad to have a bracket to work with as well. Well, it's nice. I mean, it's nice from a from a viewership side. It's exciting to have a tournament final. Um, I think any tournament should try to have a final, even if that ends up being... You know, I, I, have, I have more leeway with early season tournaments where it's kind of just like, whatever, let's just get games in. Um, but it's nice to have a have a, a final and, and past I mean, Northwest challenges with a sort of match play ish format. I'm pretty sure did have a game that at least felt like the final. Maybe that was by chance. But yeah, I think I think 2014, I can't remember if it was 2014 or 2015 when we were out there for streaming and like UBC, Ohio State and Oregon, I think were like the three best teams. And they all played each other, but there was not, I don't think there was a de facto, fi- there wasn't a final. And so you just kind of ended up labeling those games as like deciding which team was the best. Yeah. And I but think I mean, that's State the thing, right? So if you're Vermont, I it's think you would have been happier it, if you showed up and you got to play UBC, Carlton, and, you know, who's the next best team? Colorado. Uh, Colorado. Um, and, and those were three, you know, you got four games against like the top four other seeds and then one random game. But instead, now they're going to get seven games. Probably they're playing four on day one. So, you know, look, they made the changes. I don't know how many teams wanted them, but here we are. So anyway, let's move on. Um, who's actually going to win this thing, Keith? <laughs> UBC is the one seed. Carlton, the two. Vermont, the three. Colorado, the four. Stanford, the five. And then Oregon and Washington. And I think that really comprises kind of the top level. The next five teams, they're pretty solid, but it definitely drops off towards the bottom a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe doesn't have quite the, uh, the strength all the way to the, to the last team, but, um, still very good tournament. Yeah. And I, I think that you're, I agree with you that I'm going to feel like there's a big gap between seven and eight. Once you get to Washington, Pittsburgh, it feels like there's going to be a, a distinction between those teams that at the top and the, and the bottom, uh, which should make for some pretty compelling you know, bracket play for, for most of these other teams, especially given the way that we've seen teams perform, uh, you know, UBC showed a little bit of inconsistency with that loss to Washington. I think that that they kind of opened the door and also showed you Washington ceiling. I, I don't know that I would have bought that Washington was really in contention prior to what we saw at Stanford Invite, but seeing them beat a team like UBC is gonna gonna change your perception a little bit. Um, I think I'm high. On, I'm high on Vermont, uh, Colorado with the asterisk that they have their two best players this time around. <laughs> that would definitely help. Makes you feel a little more confident. If uh, if you know they're going to have Cliff Phillips and, and Stacey Gaskill, who are both on the roster for the tournament, so uh, you know take that for whatever it means, uh, does not necessarily mean they will be in attendance. Uh, I'm I'm cooler on Carlton than the other three top seeds. Uh, yeah, so I, I feel like for me it's it's it comes down to UBC, Vermont, and Colorado in in some combination. I'm still figuring out exactly what that combination is, especially because the 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 bracket the format still seems a little wonky. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and make picks here. Um, I'm taking. 
I don't know if they're going to end up meeting in semis. That's the problem, Keith. Yeah, I, but none of us do. I think you're kind of. <laughs> I'm going to assume that it's going to be corrected so that the one would play the four seed in the semifinals, which means that I think UBC and Colorado will play in semis. Um, I'm going to take. I'm going to take UBC. I'm going to take UBC. We'll see. That's that's a really interesting game. I mean, I think that's basically de facto final, but um, then you're going to have probably in Carlton versus Vermont in the other semi. I'm going to take Vermont in that one. So I'm saying it's going to be UBC versus Vermont in the final. And I'm calling on UBC to, to show us um, why that they shouldn't have lost that game back at Stanford Invite and uh, win this tournament. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it, it is tough to pick because of the a little bit because of the formatting. But even even without that, I think I would have trouble deciding between those three teams that, uh, that I mentioned. I think I'm going to go with uh, Colorado and Vermont in the final with okay. the assumption that they with the hope that they don't play each other in semifinals. Uh, so I'm, I'm playing with fire a little bit because it literally says that they do. <laughs> if assuming that that they go that they win their games on in pool play, and I'm gonna go with Colorado taking the win. I think I, I'm I, I'm really thinking about picking Vermont though. <laughs> it's just do you? It's wanna... tough. I'm gonna go with Colorado. I'm gonna stick with Colorado. I I think that these teams are all very well matched though. I think that the, I think that you're getting in a coin flippy territory uh, when you, when you're talking about these three. Uh, these are also the same three teams that the subscribers have in consideration. Uh, the subscribers have Colorado, uh, both going to the final and winning. But I think we have another situation with a subscriber tie. Maybe not, actually. Uh, no, the subscribers have uh, Vermont. No, they have UBC. Okay, UBC. Counted it out. So the subscribers have UBC and Colorado with Colorado getting the win. So we have three different combinations of these three teams. Nobody, nobody wanted to go with Carlton uh, between the subscribers, uh, myself and the, and the Charlie. No, that, that I, I, I'm, I'm not sold on this Carlton team. I mean, they're good, but they're, they're not at the level of those other three teams. Agreed. They're, they're a tier below them. Possible for them to knock one off, but I would be surprised if they won this tournament. All right, Keith. Well, uh, how did we do last week on the picks? So let's look at Centex from last week uh, where the picks were pretty similar, but there's just enough difference to make a, make some differences in the points uh, in the women's division. Everybody had Virginia Northeastern in the final. Obviously, everybody missed on Colorado State, but Charlie had Virginia getting the win while the subscribers and I both had Northeastern. So we get the extra points there. What was uh, I thinking? What was I, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. Northeastern had played really close with a Virginia team that didn't have a full complement. I, I see how you got there. Uh, we weren't sure if Northeastern could pull off the pull off the uh, the undefeated year, but I, I said that they would. And it, it's a tough task to do still. Uh, men's side, Colorado and Texas uh, make the final. That's matches Charlie and the subscribers picks. I had Carlton upsetting Texas to reach the final. Everybody had Colorado to win, which is uh, what happened. So I, I lose the point there, uh, which means that right now, final tally, Charlie has 39 and both subscribers and I have 38. So we're on his tail. And oh. uh, now that we have all, nobody has the same picks in Northwest Challenge. That, that doesn't necessarily mean 
that there's going to be points to be had. You know, Carlton could blow up all of our picks, but uh, we'll see what happens. This this is a, a spicy way to to uh, get down to the nitty gritty as we near the end of the regular season. Not picking Northeastern, really. I just gave away my lead, basically. Wow, it's 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 coming down to the end here. I mean, it's really going to come down to getting the picks right here at Northwest Challenge and Easterns in in a week. So, wow. Northwest Challenge live coverage coming your way if you are a full or plus subscriber to Ulti World. So go over to ultiworld.com slash subscribe, sign up and watch the games from Northwest Challenge. And we'll be having coverage at Easterns as well uh, with commentary. So that's going to be a fun little uh, capstone on the season. So looking forward to doing that. Um, and uh, Keith, it's pretty exciting. Any, anything you're watching in the bid watch this weekend closely? I mean, I'm going to be watching Sudi Binghamton is literally like from across the field. So as, as close as, <laughs> as close as possible uh, in the women's division um, this weekend, specifically, uh, you know, Northwest challenge. There's, there's mostly like secondary connectivity aside from Western Washington. If Western Washington goes out and gets some key wins, they only have six games. So they, they do have a chance to play their way into the bid picture i think i think it's an outside shot but i do think that it's possible uh but the men's division i think as far as d1's concerned i think we're mostly waiting till till next weekend when uh we'll see where like south carolina is going to be in the in the eastern's field they're their last team in uh but we know they won eq so you know they're going to be in attendance it, it it's going to come down to the end here there's, there's going to be some bids decided at, uh, at Eastern's in the in the men's division. Make sure you tune in to our subscriber segment out the back for some more mailbag questions and answers. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Deep Look. For Keith Rayner, I'm Charlie Eisenhood saying so long, and we'll talk to you next week.